You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. So good to see you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. We have so much uh, for which to be grateful. What great graces uh, the Lord has given us. I hope that the turkey tryptophan has worked out of your system so you can stay awake during the sermon these next few moments. Let's go to Psalm 84. This is where I wanted to be today on this Thanksgiving weekend. Hopefully a great place for us to land together. Psalm 84. Once you get there, go ahead and just plan on keeping this passage open the remainder of the morning. This is where we're going to be. So whether it be on your smartphone, your device, or you have Bible in hand, let's go to Psalm 84. We're going to begin in verse 1 together. This seemed like a great place to be as we consider how grateful we are for all that the Lord has done. Psalm 84, we're going to read all of it. To the choir master, according to the Gittith. The Psalm of the Sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home. And the swallow finds a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Then the Hebrew word selah is right there, which means stop for just a moment. Be still, be quiet. Consider what you just read. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. There's 150 psalms in the Old Testament. This is the only one where the word blessed is used three times. My circle them in my Bible, you feel free to do the same. It's in verse 4, blessed. Verse 5, blessed. Verse 12, blessed. Three times the psalmist talks about how blessed these different people are in the 84th psalm. And I want to use those three acknowledgments a blessing to walk through this chapter with you this morning. Let's start, first of all, with what the psalmist was saying when he wrote it. For those of y'all who love to study God's Word, or maybe some of you have a goal of wanting to to love God's Word and study God's Word, it's always good to, to start at the very beginning, to start by stepping in the shoes of the writer, stepping in the shoes of, of the readers or the original listeners, stepping into the original situation 
or the original meaning, if you will, of, of God's word, that scripture, that passage, that chapter. For the psalmist who is writing this, here's point number one today. They were thankful to work in the temple. You'll notice the ascription that's actually right before verse 1. So hopefully your Bible's still open. Even before we get to verse 1, right under Psalm 84, there's a little ascription there. And it says, to the choir master, according to the gittith. The the gittith was uh, an instrument with strings. And so a guitar or a harp or a lyre. It was a psalm of the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah. That's critical to understanding the 84th Psalm. We need to know who these sons are. So let's get a little context. Throughout all the Old Testament, God would set up a physical place that would symbolize or signify his presence to his people. It began with the Ark of the Covenant. There, the the presence of God in a very particular way, a very powerful way, the presence of God dwelled. The presence of God existed. That Ark of the Covenant was placed into a tent, and so as God's people moved around, that tent would move around, that Ark would move around as well, so that God's people could always be around the particular powerful presence of God. It was King David who brought that Ark into Jerusalem, and there in that city, it became a place of of worship. Where they would come, God's people would come from all around and they would worship there at the presence of God. This particular powerful place where God's presence was. And it was brought into the city. The ark was brought into the city. The tabernacle was set there. Then later under King David's son, King Solomon, a more permanent temple was built. An established place that signified the particular powerful presence of God. So what God did is he appointed different families with different tasks for the temple. Different people were pulled out of different families to accomplish different tasks or responsibilities for the tent of meeting or for the temple or for for the tabernacle. Um, It may be the construction, it might be the maintenance, it might be worship leadership. But let me say it one more time. Particular people were taken from particular families to have particular responsibilities for the temple. And so this is where the sons of, of Korah come in. Now, I've asked you to go ahead and open to the 84th Psalm, and so I won't make you switch off of that, but just stay right there, and I'll go very quickly to First Chronicles chapter 9. You'll see this on the screen behind me and in front of you as well. So in First Chronicles chapter 9, we begin to see these different people called out of different families to accomplish different tasks for the temple or for the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. So here we are in First Chronicles chapter 9, verse 19. Shalom who is the son of Korah, son of Epiosaph, son of, and here's our word, of, of Korah, and his kinsmen of the father's house, the Korahites. So here's the sons of Korah. They were in charge of the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent. There's that tent of meeting or the tabernacle. As their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord. They were keepers of the entrance. Uh, Did you hear that? The sons of Korah were in charge of the work of the service. They were keepers of the thresholds of the tent. They were the gatekeepers. They were the ones who worked as doorkeepers in the place that signified the very presence, the powerful particular presence of God. Understanding that sheds a whole new light on the 84th Psalm. 
If you understand this, that these were the gatekeepers, the doorkeepers, you almost hear the words of Psalm 84 in a brand new way. With your Bible still open, look at verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, thanks for the courts of the Lord. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell here in your house, ever singing your praise, which is what they did. Uh, Verse 10, when it says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. This is not hypothetical. This is reality for them. This songwriter, this son of Korah that is writing this down, he loves what he does. He is not bored in the presence of God. He can't get enough of what he does. So in verse 10, where it says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This son of Korah who is writing this, who is singing this, was writing to us how much he loved to be in God's presence. So much so that he longed for, or verse 1, he fainted to be there, and this from a guy who was there. He has this insatiable appetite for God. He wants more and more and more of the presence of God. It's not a place he longed for, but the God who resided in that place, that's who he longed for. When you think about the tabernacle or the temple or the tent of meeting, this might help us all understand this together. That wasn't the only place that God existed. I mean, God still existed in ruling and reigning around the, 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 the huge universe in which he created. He still resided there on, on earth. In fact, scripture tells us over and over again that it wasn't that God was contained to the small little place there in, in Jerusalem. But also when you think about that that place in Jerusalem, that Ark of the Covenant, that tent, it was a very particular, powerful way that God chose to be among his people. Verse 3, he looks up into the structure of the temple, I'm assuming, in verse 3, and he sees that a sparrow has found its home there in the tabernacle. This is great imagery because the, the sparrow throughout scripture was always a humble lowly, common, seemingly worthless bird. In fact, Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 10 that you could buy two sparrow for for one penny. And yet this lowly bird finds meaning by being here in the presence of God. It's a powerful picture, Highland, when you think about it, because we as God's people, we too are are lowly. We We are common people, just humble people, but we have found majestic meaning in the presence of God. So for you note takers, you can write this down. The presence of God is a place where the humble find a home. Those who understand who God is and who we are, as we rest, as we reside in the presence of God, we have found a home. Uh, verse 3, the psalmist also writes here, the sons of Korah, or a son of Korah, writes here about, about a swallow that has a nest for herself. In scripture, just as it is today, a swallow is this fast-moving bird that can quickly cut to the right or cut to the left with, with great speed, much like me on Thanksgiving flag football. The swallow just never stops, always in, in movement. But here the fast-paced bird builds a nest and just settles down to rest with her young in the presence of God. So note takers, you can please take note of this. The presence of God is where the restless find a refuge. For some of you, it's been a, a year of restlessness. For some of you, it's been a, a restless semester. Maybe these past few days of being around family or not being around family has caused
cause this restlessness in your heart. But we see here this, this swallow always moving, always fast, always on the move, finds this refuge there in the presence of God. Verse 2, my heart and my flesh, they sing for joy. The, the phrase sing for joy is one word in, in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew word renan. And renan is not just simply singing a song. The word renan in, in Hebrew is to sing loudly. It, it is to shout out. It, it is a loud cry before the Lord. It is singing in an undignified volume. Uh, one commentator I read this week said it was almost like an inappropriate Volume, a level volume, when people would just sing so loudly to the Lord. The psalmist says here, my heart and my flesh, in other words, my my heart and my voice, both are just overflowing with songs to the Lord. And we're commanded all throughout the book of Psalms, actually all throughout Scripture, to sing to God. That's why earlier in this gathering, we, we sang to the Lord. It's why we sing in our gatherings. I realized to an outsider unfamiliar with a worship gathering, it's probably quite a scene to walk in and perhaps begin to think, what is this? Just a bunch of people in a sing-along? Yes. We come and we sing to God. The people of God are a singing people. We are a community of people that love to sing to the Lord and, and to sing loudly to the Lord. We don't gather just for a sermon the preachers would like to think that. We don't gather just for a sermon and that becomes the main event and everything else is just a bonus. No, worship is, is a biblical, pivotal, important, vital part of worship. The people of God are singing people. Have you noticed how often our worship leaders, and I heard Jared say it at least twice this morning already, okay, you sing. Have you noticed how many times I love that Delilah says this all the time? You're going to pick up on it from here on out. She goes, come on. You know why? Because it's not like this is the performing singers up here. They all have better voices than I do and probably better voices than a lot of us do in this place. But this, it's not a time for us to come like listen to a concert of other people. It is time for us to come and sing. And some of you understand this. It's not just to come and sing according to the psalmist here. It's to come and sing loudly before God. Some of you, I know you don't like the sound of your voice. People around you may not like the sound of your voice. I guess that that is as well. But that's not the essence of, of the psalmist. The essence of the psalmist is we come and we sing loudly to God. This is why earlier David says we shout aloud to the God of our salvation. So if you have come into a time of gathering, a time of worship, and, and you're just ready for the music to be done, or you just kind of put your hands in your pocket and you kind of whisper out a few words, let me say this lovingly as an under-shepherd in this place, you're disobeying the Word of God. If it's just this quiet, whispered worship. What we see here is singing loudly, shouting songs. It's the heart of this writer who loves to be in God's presence. And so in God's presence is that the joy is just overflowing. The singer is overflowing, which is why it says in verse four, I hope your Bible is still open. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing 
your praise. They're not just talking about God's praise. They're not, not just thinking about God's praise. It doesn't say here, blessed are those who contemplate God's praise. No, blessed are those who celebrate God, who sing with joy and shout aloud to God of his glorious excellencies. And we see 12 places here. I note 12 things. I know you're getting really nervous when I say the number 12, but I note 12 things here. 12 names, 12 attributes, 12 activities of God. You might want to write them down. I'm going to go through this really quick. I'm going to talk fast. You're going to have to listen fast. Here's number one. He is a covenant-keeping Lord. This is why the psalmist was singing aloud, a covenant-keeping Lord. Notice in, in verse one, Lord, and your Bible should be in all caps. Why sometimes in the Bible is the the name Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the Hebrew name for God's name, Yahweh. The name by which God revealed himself to Moses and revealed himself to his covenant people as he called them into covenant with him. This is the God who reaches down his hand of mercy into sinners' lives and commits himself to them covenant-keeping Lord. Number two, he's the commander of heavenly armies. We see this also in verse one. O Lord of hosts. Not just Lord, he's the Lord of hosts. Literally, the Yahweh of angel heavenly armies. Which points to the security that we have that's found in his presence. The psalmist is rejoicing that God is the commander of heavenly armies. Number three, he's the living God. That the God the psalmist longed for is not dead. Verse 2, my heart and my flesh, they sing for joy to the living God. A God whose living presence is active among his people. Number 4, he speaks of my king. Verse 3, he's talking about the swallow, talking about the sparrow. And he says, they dwell at your altars, O Lord of hosts. There's that term again, Yahweh over the heavenly armies. Then he says, and this God is my king. Number 5, my God. Verse 3, the same place. This is awesome. Just think about this Highland family for for just a moment. Put yourself in the psalmist's shoes for just this minute. He recognizes the glory and the power of God. That this is a God who is commanding the armies of heaven. That he is a living and active king over the entire universe. Then he says, and he is mine. He chose me. He's with me. He is my king. He is my God. Number six, he's the only God. Verse seven, when God is referenced there, it's not the name of Yahweh, it's the name Elohim. A name of God describing God as one God, as the true God, as the sole God, as the only God. Number seven, he's the faithful God. Verse eight mentions that he is the God of Jacob, the God who had made promises, covenant promises to Jacob centuries before, promises that God faithfully kept. And God's been making and keeping promises to his people for millennia. All the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And if you hear nothing else I say to this, please say today, please hear this. He keeps every promise that he makes to you. Number eight, he's the source of light. And life, verse 11 says, the Lord God is a son. This is the only time in scripture that God is explicitly called a son. You know why that is? Because in the Old Testament times, it was the son that was worshipped by the pagan, uh, pagan religions. 
but the psalmist had to look up perhaps at the, at the light of the sun or the life that the sun brings. And he describes it like being in the presence of God. God shines brightly upon his people. Number nine, God is a protecting shield for his people. Verse 11, the Lord God is a shield. It's a picture of the protection for people, the people of God who find refuge under his wings. Number 10, he's the grace giver. Verse 11, it says the Lord bestows favor on his people, though we do not deserve it. I'll look around the room right now and I imagine most of us have lived long enough to understand about our own lives that the Lord gives grace to undeserving people. He showers his people with his favor. The same word for for grace. Grace is what we need the most, but what we deserve the least. Number 11, he's the glory giver. Verse 11 as well. The Lord bestows honor on his people. The same word for glory upon his people. The picture here is of God surrounding his people with his glory so that they actually dwell in his glory. In his presence, he surrounds us with his favor, he, with his honor. He surrounds us with his glory. It's a privilege, once again, unmerited, given to us by his merciful hand. Number 12, he's the goodness giver. Verse 11, here it is again. The effect of being in God's presence is that the psalmist lacks no good thing. God's grace is on him. God's glory is around him. The psalmist rests in God's goodness. Now put all 12 of those things together and you realize why the psalmist longed to be in the presence of God. Put all 12 of those things together and we, when, we, when we realize who God is, we also love his presence. It's good to be before him. It's good to sing to God. It's good to shout out our praises to God. And unfortunately, that's just point number one. They were thankful to work in the temple. Number two. They were thankful to journey to the temple. Here's our second blessed, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Here's a key phrase, verse 5. In whose heart are the highways to Zion. Zion is a reference to where the temple was there in Jerusalem. So the psalmist is speaking now of people who are far away from Jerusalem, far away from the temple, making their journey in. And they're finding strength in setting their hearts on the presence of God. He tells the people here in this, in this chapter that they will find strength, though they're far away from Jerusalem, though they're far away from Zion, when they set their heart and their hope on God, on how in God there is strength amidst weakness. Look at verse 7. They go, here it is, from strength to strength. The hope of God's presence makes the heart of God's people strong. It's 2020, so I'm going to say that one more time. The hope of God's presence makes the heart of God's people strong. Then reminds us, the psalmist reminds us in verse 6, as they go through the valley of of, of Baca. This has nothing to do with the Wookiee. As they go through the valley of, of Baca, they make it to a place of springs. Baca was a tree that, that weeped out its sap. And so the Hebrews took that word Baca and made it to, to mean uh, to weep, to, to cry, to be undone emotionally. And so when, when the author says here, the psalmist says here, as they go through the valley of Baca, The psalmist is saying as they go through the valley of weeping, as they go through the valley of of tears, but he describes here how hope in God 
brings strength amongst, amidst the, the weakness, but also how hope in God brings joy amidst the weeping. So tears of sadness actually become springs of joy when that pilgrim keeps his heart focused on the presence of God. So there's number two, they were thankful to journey to the temple. This leads to the final blessing. Number three, they were thankful to live with trust in God. Look at verse 12, our last blessed. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So wherever one lives, whether right there at the gates, like the sons of Korah were right there at the gates, right there at the doorkeepers of the temple, whether you're right next to the temple gates or far away from the temple making your journey in, blessed is the one who walks with all of their trust placed in God. That's the third and last blessed. But remember Psalm 84 was written in the Old Testament a long time ago. A lot of things have happened since then, such as Jesus came. The word became flesh. Jesus lived this perfect life in obedience to his father. He was without sin, so he went to a cross to gain forgiveness for those with sin in order that God would be able to adopt us perfectly into his family. And then after his death on a cross, he was raised again three days later to demonstrate that he is the Lord. So remember 17 minutes ago when I said they were thankful to work in the temple? Christian, we are blessed to be the temple. This is what has happened since the coming of Christ, the perfect sacrifice of Christ once and for all. They, the psalmist, the the sons of Korah, they were so thankful to work in the temple. But Christian, we are so blessed now. We are the temple. This is what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he wrote, you see on the screen, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now Paul is referencing the temple back in Jerusalem, but that is not what he is talking about. He is talking about you, daughter of God, you son of God, you are that temple. Pretty much the same thing is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 through 20, same thing. Do you not know, Christian, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with the price. So glorify God in your body. It was such an incredible thing. They were so thankful to work in the temple. Christian, we are now that temple. When you put your trust in Jesus, many of you in this house, you have put your trust in Jesus. Your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit in whom his grace and his glory now resides and dwells. So the same question also from 17 minutes ago. Where does God exist? Where does God live? Where is God now? Well, he's certainly reigning over the spans of the entirety of the universe. He, he is certainly on earth. His presence is certainly in Waco. His presence is certainly in this room, in this place. But I want you to understand this perfectly here. The particular powerful way that God dwells today is in the hearts and the lives of every person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. You're the temple. What people would journey to hundreds and hundreds of years ago You are now the place where the powerful, particular presence of God 
dwells. Your body is a temple where the Holy Spirit of God dwells in power. Christian is a blessing to be the temple. One more time, the psalmist worked in the temple. But you and I have something far better, something the psalmist could only dream of. For the believer in Christ, we are the temple where the glory of God dwells. That means tomorrow morning when you wake up and you rub your eyes, Christian, you have the presence of God in you. When you go about your daily work tomorrow, you go to work, you go to school, uh, you're on the athletic field, you're in the community, you're at home, whatever that might be, you live every moment of your life with the presence of God in you. Tonight, when you go to bed, perhaps exhausted, and you lay down in your bed, you have the presence of God in you. Blessed are those, not who dwell in God's house, blessed are those whose body now house the glory of God. Number two, they were thankful, remember, In Psalm 84, they were thankful to journey to the temple. Christian, we are blessed to journey to heaven. We're not on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We're not taking off to the Middle East this afternoon. But the highways of our hearts still have a hope. Christian, it is a blessing to us to journey to heaven. We desire a better country. We desire a heavenly place. We desire to see our country, our homeland. And in Revelation chapter 21, our homeland is described. You see it on the screen. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, this new Jerusalem, this new Zion coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the old things have passed away did you hear the distinctive feature of heaven it is not the place the important thing about heaven is not what is there but who is there the dwelling of God will now be with his people finally Finally, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ will be fully reconciled with God. The highway of our hearts are still set on that hope of that day when sin and suffering will be no more and we will be with God in perfect, pure, endless joy forever and forever. So set your heart's trust on this. Last one, verse 12 again. O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. In the Old Testament, in the 84th Psalm, they were thankful to live with trust in God. But Christian, here's our blessing. We are blessed to live with trust in God through Jesus. There's now a new and living way for us. Christian, it is now such a blessing to live with trust in Jesus. God sent his son, that word became flesh, and Jesus is now identified with us. He hurt, so he understands your hurt. He experienced sorrow just as you experience sorrow. Jesus understands what it means to be alone. He identifies with you, and so he says to us, trust in me. 
Trust in the one who has walked through the dark night of death and come out on the other side in victorious light. Trust the one who has conquered sin and sorrow, death and hell, and is coming back to wipe every tear from our eyes. Oh, friend, put your trust in Jesus. Christian, you have a king. He is your king. He has made a covenant of love with you through the covenant picture of his cross that will not break. He is the source of light and life to you. He is a shield of protection. He is a provision for you amidst whatever you might be walking through. His name is Jesus. How blessed we are. Would you stand with me please for us to pray together? Father, on this weekend of gratitude, we can't help but overflow with thanksgiving when we realize how blessed we are in Christ Jesus. Oh, for our spiritual forefathers in the Old Testament who loved just working in the temple, how blessed we are to be the temple. The powerful, particular place where the presence of God dwells. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to the God who purchased us and now takes residence up in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. This should radically rearrange our lives this week. God in us, his glory in us, his grace in us, his honor in us, the king in us, the sun and the shield in us. Oh, better is even just one day. Even at the front of the temple, even at the gates, than a thousand days anywhere else. In the name of this King, we pray and we sing for joy.